Tim, episode 30 of the Stassimeter Podcast. It's here, number 30, the Dirty 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, we're going to recap the Los Angeles Dodgers season, talk a little golf, and Mike, hold on, Mike Tyson? Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess we got to talk about Mike Tyson. Uh, look, in our cups this week, it's a stout from Norman, Oklahoma, and a triple IPA from New Haven, Connecticut. We appreciate all the support for the Stassimeter Podcast, widely available wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, Apple, Google, Spotify, and we're on social media on all the socials, as the kids would say. It really slaps, as they would say, at Stats Podcast on Twitter and at Stats Don't Matter on Instagram. Now, in the immortal words of Little John and Trick Daddy, let's go! If you want it, you can get it. Let me I, know. I, 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 I need to let you all know that Sam doesn't actually have children, so some of these bad dad jokes are just <laughs> Sam bad dad they're, jokes. They're, but, they're preparation. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> uh, they, they don't get any better folks 30 episodes in my my would-be dad jokes are not any better i i have oh. equally as bad dad jokes like here's one you guys can share uh what did the zero say to the eight nice belt uh... wow <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh boy, oh boy. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Alrighty. it's all downhill from there. <clears throat> Good talk about newfound glory, but kids won't know nothing about that. That that song really slaps from back in the day. A little punk rock. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> just full sand here. Okay. Sam, you have a triple IPA this week, and there's a whole lot of curves and no breaks on that thing. So why don't you tell us all about that beer? Yeah, man. I, uh, my, my sweet little tasty care package, uh, that we got uh, some of the ones that are, are sitting in there kind of for occasions, but I decided to dive back in, go a little local again. Um, uh, still shout out to vacation land. They're still the sponsors for this podcast. I know Sam is going to imbibe in one of their treats, but this one's by a brewery, uh, out of East Haven, Connecticut called Armada Brewing. Um, I will be honest, this brewery for me tends to be a little bit hit or miss, but when they get it right, they get it very right. Uh, this particular one is called Immortal Prince, and it's a triple IPA. Uh, saw it on the shelf, thought, you know what, let's get after it for this this show. Uh, coming off of a big week, so here we are. I think this is only the maybe second or third triple I've had in in the last few years. They tend to be very hit or miss, but when you get them from the big boys, uh, they're more hit than they are miss. But I'm very curious as to which what this one's going to come out like. I can already tell opening the can, it smells fruitier than I would have expected for a triple. A lot of times you get that like alcohol hint when you, uh, when you get it, but it smells fantastic, actually. Oh, yeah, that's dangerous. That is uh, that is a little dangerous. Um, it's got all those sort of big New England flavors that you would normally find um, on the can. It, it it describes the flavors as is berry, mango, and tropical. And I gotta say they they hit it on the nose quite a bit. And it doesn't have any bite at the end, which is uh, a little concerning for both my well-being and the well-being of the people around me and for the remainder of this podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. <clears> but <throat> man, we're going to get you in about uh, 30 minutes. This is... Set your watches. This is this is 
pleasantly surprising. I had, I did have high hopes, but I was somewhat reserved. And um, this is phenomenal. I have to, I have to take. Um, if you can't see me, I'm wearing uh, my golf gear. I got a nice little Titleist hat, my Nike polo on, because it's golf week, baby. Masters week. But uh, my hat off to these guys, because this is solid, solid, solid beer. Looks like it's a what you'd expect a triple. It's super dark orange like hue and yeah. It, I mean, is it real sweet on the on the nose or uh, a little bit? It has it has a when you first take a sip, the, the first thing that hits in your mouth is sort of like a a honey tropical fruit style sweetness. Um, it does have a little bit of that sort of not. I don't even want to call it a bite because that that over describes it, but it it. You can tell on the back end that there's a little bit more punch to this beer than you would sort of that smooth finish you would get off of like a normal New England IPA or um, even, you know, some of the double dry hop singles. But I got to say, it's not overwhelming in any way. It's a nice smooth finish. You know, when you're drinking a triple, it's going to have a little bit more of that, that full body at the end. But this is pretty well balanced. I could see somebody who either wouldn't normally be into triples actually really enjoying this because i'm enjoying the hell out of it right now what's the abv 10 percent. oh all right <laughs> so i'm gonna go ahead and give this guy i'm gonna jump right off and give it a score i'm not even gonna wait until after yours just i'm excited about it i'm gonna give this guy i really thought this was gonna come in under under four for me um but i'm gonna give this one like a four two five this one's this is i would buy this again anytime i saw it on the shelf interesting shout out to armada yeah, and a follow-up shout out here um, to Vacation Land. I got this beer called Basic Becky by Prairie Artisan Ales. It's an imperial stout with pumpkin, cinnamon, allspice, nutmeg, coriander, clove, and caraway. It's eleven percent ABV. It's also got a little blue uh, cap on it. Pints for prostates. I'm sure, you've heard all about those those types of. Oh shit! What do you call them? Prom- not promotions like charity yeah, the, contributions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they're, they're like they're like charity beers. You have like ales for ALS, pints for prostates. Yep. There's a there's a woman one there too, but I won't say it just because we're a family podcast. <laughs> family of degenerates. <laughs> anyway, so let's go ahead and crack this thing. Now, again, the viewers can't see this, but I want I want to just talk about this tool. This is a craftsman beer bottle opener okay it's got an official part number and everything you could get them at sears before they went you know out of business but you can still get it on amazon pretty too these things are awesome it actually feels like a socket wrench it's like really heavy and uh, i i like to use it to open all my bottles of topo chico and these beers i i did have that one actually i I thought last week when we were talking or yesterday when we were talking that uh i didn't but that was one of the first ones i opened when i opened the box and the aura and awe of what was in there and came out. Um, I really enjoyed that one. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. Interesting. Super, super jet black. The, uh, the, 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 the pumpkin on the, on the label is a, uh, is a pumpkin with a scarf and a top knot with her iPhone and a, yeah. and a Starbucks cup. It's his basic Becky on it. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, you, you got to love when it hits it right in the nose, huh? 
One of the things I didn't mention about this this can white Sam's getting his ready. The can design on this is clutch. If you are uh, a Game of Thrones fan, maybe a Dungeon and Dragons fan, anything like that, basically this has what 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 would look like two crusaders or the guys with you know helmets that had the crosses on the front of them getting just mowed down with what looks like a white walker style uh dude with a huge sword and the can itself is is phenomenal so be on the lookout if you are a uh, game of thrones fan so i'm off of this one i'm getting a ton a ton of pumpkin up front i hope that's not the the entirety of the beer. I'm not a really big pumpkin fan beer, but let's let's see what this uh, this does. Okay, so have you ever had any any prairie stouts before, like Bomb, Birthday Bomb, any, anything from that series? They all have like a like a regular taste to them, and then the variants, of course, like kind of give you extra flavors. And that's kind of what I get with this one. I can definitely taste like like a, a same base stout, but I do appreciate that the pumpkin is not. Not so much that it's like overpowering. It's not like too sweet. I can taste the. We're turning into a ASMR real fast here with all those mouth <laughs> movements you're making. <laughs> um, you know, I gotta say, for eleven percent, I, I kind of expected there to be just a little more flavor. Um, for eleven percent, yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's not really like I, I can taste the cinnamon. I can taste the overtones of the pumpkin. I don't really get the clove or the nutmeg or the allspice, but to be honest, I mean, when you throw enough of those in there, you're not going to taste it anyway. So, I mean, when I when I first smelled the beer, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about this. So, I may, that might be clouding my judgment. Yeah, I think I'm going to give this. I give us a three eight. All right, it's kind of sticking with me too. It's yeah. it's a it's I a will syrupy say, type beer. I will say with uh, with Prairie, I I do like their stuff. They tend to have like a sheen that it leaves on the inside of your mouth, like on the mm-hmm. on the that yep. on your teeth and on your tongue a little bit, but they are pretty good early on when we were first pitching uh angry chair and you thought, you know, coming out of Florida Prairie was, you know, one of their top notch beers. Uh, now we have a benchmark on record so we can compare the two. <laughs> what? I'm curious. What did you give it? Uh, I gave it uh, a three, nine actually. Uh, sucks. Sucks. when we're like that. All right. Well, now yeah. that we now that we are both racing to see whose ABV is going to hit us quicker, let's go ahead and get into the show. All right. Uh, I am currently setting an all my golf attire because the internal giddiness that I have this week uh, is only rivaled by maybe week one of a normal football season. For any golf fans out there, this is Masters week. Uh, the Masters normally take place back in April. Uh, not the case this year. It's finally time. It's here. This will be the first time since 1934 that it wasn't played in April. And there's some pretty interesting storylines that we had in this one. The obvious one is Tiger Woods defending the championship for the first time since 2009. Um, it's been 500 days since he's won his last green jacket. Golf fans have circled this one all season, hoping that this could be sort of a resurgence of Tiger. Um, I had a bet with uh, a colleague at work regarding this particular event last year, and I won. Um, Not as confident going into it this season, or at least this tournament, but it is going to be a 
big storyline to watch. The last time he was one of the defending champions was back in 2002. Does uh, have a history of strong performances while being the defending champion, though. Uh, going back to 1998, he's had top 10, uh, seven top 10 finishes when he was the defending champion, and four of those were wins. So, several others. I mean, I, th- I think he's had like 23, 24 ish, maybe 25 top 30 finishes while being a defender. That goes to speak more about wins that he's had than it does his ability to defend. But it is something if you are looking at a reason to buy into this weekend, Tiger Woods is always one of those guys. Uh, this is no different. He really is one of those that you should pay attention to because there is room for him to make some waves. Uh, if he does and he starts going into the weekend, even flirting with a lead, it's going to be insane. Uh, another one to keep an eye on, or, uh, you know, we're still talking about it from the U.S. Open, but Bryson DeChambeau is defending U.S. Open champion, and he is a favorite to win this tournament. He does have a shiny new toy in his bag. He has a 48-inch driver, which he now claims he can hit over 400 yards in the air. What the hell, man? 400 yards. When We used to think that Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, those guys were insane for hitting you know, 320, 330. But if you go into Augusta and you're able to carry the ball 350 yards, I mean, up 400 yards, there are several holes in there that he could reach in one or be just off the green. There's a 350-yard hole on the third. Hit that in one club, that's insane. There's a, another that's like a 510-yard a that he could just sail around a tree, sail over the trees, put him probably 20 yards off the green. Now, weather's obviously going to play a big factor. That's no question. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Um, The other thing is you have to be super accurate if you're leaving the ball in the air that long. If you're missing a 300-yard, a 320-yard drive by 15 yards, as that angle increases an extra 100 yards, you really run the risk of being like 100 yards off your intended mark which can really put you into some some trouble. I'm not a math genius, so don't quote me on those numbers, but that's just my guesstimation. Uh, well, no, but, but think about it. If you have the ability to hit 400 off the tee and it's 350, and you just happen to just catch it, full send, and it goes yeah. onto the next, you know, fairway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean that, would, that would me, suck. Yeah, I mean, for me, most of these guys have their distance down to a club, right? Like, when they miss hit a club... Everybody knows about it. They talk to their caddy about it. A lot of guys will actually turn to their caddy and be like, oh, you recommended the wrong club. Or sometimes you'll hear as they're getting ready for their shot, the announcers will be like, oh, look, uh, he ignored his caddy, went up a club. And then when he mishits it, you're like, oh, there you go. Like these guys know within a few yards. So I wouldn't necessarily be too worried about him hitting it beyond. But if you're hitting, say you have your target and it's in the middle of the fairway and a normal golfer hits the edge of the fairway 20 yards to the left and you're either in the air for 290 and it still lands that direction. If you're in the air for 400 yards and that's the trajectory that it's taking, you really run the risk of being like 50 to 80 to hundred yards left of what your target was. And then you're flirting with not only out of bounds, you're flirting with, 
you know, trees. And Augusta is one of those that's really big on skill and accuracy. Putting the ball up in the air that much is really, really aggressive. Uh, I mean, if he does it, I know a lot of the purists out there are kind of shaking their head at it. They're thinking that, you know, this potentially could ruin a lot of these tournaments. But Augusta is one of those that might be somewhat safe. There is enough there to kind of play with uh, a lot of guys. Once you, you know, fall behind, you make a couple mess ups, it's easy to sort of get in your own head. But there's a lot of skill-based holes that are on there. Like we saw John Rahm and his hole in one the other day. The amount of bend that was on that hole for that ball to come around and go into the hole. He literally still, aimed. Still yeah. unbelievable to me. <laughs> yeah, he had to aim like 20 feet right. Had to go up beyond the hole 15, 20 feet, curl around, and then come back into the hole. So there's a lot of that stuff that kind of goes on in Augusta that'll kind of help. Um you do have the world number one, Dustin Johnson. He's right behind him at plus 800. He has missed the last several weeks due to COVID. That may or may not have a factor. Not having some of those tune-up tournaments to get ready might prove to be a little bit of a challenge if you're not warm, you're not you know completely dialed in with your club lengths like we just talked about. Um, if there's a little hitch in your swing, you really have a really shortened amount of time to kind of get those dialed in. So. I don't actually expect him to go into this and do much. If he does, it'll be a, a good surprise, but I'm not really, really expecting it. The rest of the top 10, Rom plus 100. Uh, we got Justin Thomas at 1100. Rory at plus 1200. Kepka at plus 16. Matsuyama at 2800. And then in Finau, I think was at uh, like plus 3200. That's not all of them. There's a couple others that are in there, but those are just some of the more notable ones. Uh, but for me, I think the one hopeful story that I'm really, you know, looking forward to and really trying to will it into possibility is the return of Jordan Spieth. He is only plus 6,600. I say only because you work your way down the board. You're looking at like plus 40,000 and it gets out of control. Um, Tiger Woods, for example, is plus like 3,600 as of today. But he's played well there several times. Now going to but the the problem is he's going into this seventy fifth tournament without a win. He's only had five top five finishes. He has showed some flashes in the pan as of late. He's also looked completely lost. He's had some tournaments where you're like, oh, he's kind of figuring it out, and then he can't hit a fairway for the next eighteen holes. Um, he has finished uh, in the top ten sixteen times in the last two years, so. There are plenty of moments where he's come out and been able to do some type of competing. You just kind of hope that with this round, there's no fans, there's some extended time off. Maybe that's kind of what he needs. He's second in scoring average at this tournament. He's already claimed three major victories, so all the drama is there if he can just get in and execute. If Tiger somehow if if Tiger wins last year in the sort of unexpected and unreal fashion that he did, and then Jordan Spieth can somehow manage to follow it up this year, that might be one of the best one-two punches in a sports storyline that I've heard in a in a really long time. So I'm a big Jordan fan. A lot of people tend to criticize him, thinking he's you know a whiner or that he treats his caddy bad. I don't necessarily see it. I think you're just looking at a guy who's been struggling for the last few years, who knows he's good. At one point... He was putting up Jordan, uh, not Jordan, sorry. He was putting up Tiger Woods style numbers 
So he had the ability. He's in a lot of the conversations with some of those guys um, outright. Leads through 18 holes at this tournament. He's tied with Jack Nicholas. He's He's got a lot of potential. If he could just kind of figure it out. I don't know if it's a new caddy, it's a new coach. I don't know what it is, but I'm hoping this puts him in the right path. Do I expect it to happen? No, but it is something that I'm going to be paying close attention to, which I have for every tournament he's played in for the last couple of years. But for me, Jordan, hopefully making a little bit of a comeback. Bryson, just bombing the hell out of the, the course, whether or not he finds himself in trouble or makes it work. Tiger Woods are the three big takeaways for this weekend that I think if you're looking for a reason to watch, if you're a casual fan, any one of those two things are a great thing to buy into. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's probably like one of those things that like I might not catch the Friday round, but yeah. I'll, I'll keep up with with what's happening on Saturday because obviously that makes Sunday, you know, all the more exciting. Yeah. DeChambeau obviously was just in the cover of, of Sports Illustrated. He is like you said, he has a, he has a shiny new toy, but he's golf's shiny new toy right now. Um, yeah. It's like putting Arnold Schwarzenegger on a golf course. Yep, the dude just looks like Conan the Barbarian, and he's just out there hitting forever. You know what I mean? Like with the same amount of effort that. Patrick Mahomes puts into throwing a football, almost three quarters of a football field. It looks like DeChambeau can do similar and you just give him a better tool and he's going to get, you know, better and better. Obviously we would love to see as that, that style of play goes up, you want to see the the, the courses go with it. But I mean, a place like Augusta, you're not going to, you're not going to change the 350, you know, par three or four to 550 because one person has this, you know, yeah. driver from hell and and can go the distance. Like that's that yeah. that might have more of a negative effect on the rest of the field. But but that being said, you know, if a guy like Bryson decides midway through day two to just really start getting after it, could he, you know, put a couple strokes on the rest of the field? Could he take some off of whatever lead that he doesn't have? You know, so that is a good storyline. Golf is one of those sports I think that has benefited in a way. Um, from COVID-19 and in is so much that like it was one of the only socially distant sports you could play for a while. So yeah. there's a lot of people that were like, all right, cool. Now's the time I have to stand over six feet away. They're on a whole nother hole. We can't be on the tee at the same time. Maybe they've been watching, maybe they've been reading. Um, and then of course, like the best thing for golf, it's just, it's sort of like fishing. You just have, you have to go out there and do it to get any better at it. I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. terrible, but uh again i'm looking forward to it you know this is a crazy thing so there's no fans this year uh and tickets average if you want to go like watch like a practice round are like 75 dollars per day the actual master's tickets are only like 115 dollars per like one of the 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 four days that you can go there but i don't know if you know this tim but the menu at the masters is as they say lit it <laughs> is crazy listen to some of these prices okay this this is crazy. Mm-hmm. They have sandwiches, snacks, beer, breakfasts. It's not even a word, but I just said it. I like uh, it. Listen, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight types of sandwiches. None of them is over three dollars. Five wow. breakfast options. None is over two dollars. Six beverage options. Okay, to to include domestic beer, import, and American craft beer. What what do you think a craft beer would go for at Augusta? Uh, I would assume most sporting events, anywhere from eight dollars to twelve dollars, depending on how pretentious $5, they want to be. Five dollars, Bob. Five dollars. 
Five dollars. Okay, nice. and then chips, peanuts, crackers, cookies, caramel popcorn, and Georgia peach ice cream sandwiches. Nothing over two dollars. I just you want one of those spend, ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, you you could buy one of everything on this menu for fifty six dollars yep. and fifty cents, and that was from Business Insider. You you literally could you could go with some friends and they could say, hey, we want some snacks, and you could say, chill, I got this. You could, like for not even a, like a cost of what it it would be for you to go and see around, you can buy everything on the menu. Yeah, here here's what I would say uh, for any of you guys who listen to this, uh, who have friends who don't listen to this. First of all, shame on you, and how dare you? Uh, <laughs> and second of all, you should con one of them into saying hey look i tell you what i know this is gonna be expensive why don't you buy my ticket and i'll cover all the food and drinks the entire time we're there they're gonna say what yeah, yeah. you're they could buy 10 beers yeah normally you go to like fenway park you buy 10 beers and you're in it for you know 110 dollars. you go there you're only in that sucker for 50 bucks. You're still, you're still up 50 <laughs> feed them four sandwiches and some breakfast. And you're only in it for $65. So yeah, there's some angles to be played here. Uh, oh. but if anybody's listening to this, who has some ins at the PGA, uh, Sam and I would be great spectators. And, uh, uh, if you want to give us some of these press passes, <laughs> we'll be much obliged. We'll buy all the snacks and all the meals. Totes my goats. <laughs> Yeah, so so you think that uh, do you think Dustin is a, is a long shot to win it? I think I mean he's still number one, so you can't really sort of shirk at that because it's always a possibility. Um, but I think golf is one of those. If you have too much time off, it's a little bit more detrimental than if you play more consistently. Uh, golf is a hundred percent about consistency in your swing and feeling comfortable in your ball contact. So if you are out and I, anybody who plays golf can attest to this, it takes one hole where you try to correct a problem, you overcorrect, and then you are stuck in that particular swing for the next few holes. Sometimes it's the remainder of the round. I have had rounds where I've played decent for the first six holes, seven holes, and I'll stand up on the ball and I'll top it. Then what ends up happening for the remainder of that round, I tend to either try to overcorrect or I can't correct whatever that mishap was. Now, obviously, that's a much smaller scale when you're talking someone like Dustin Johnson, but maybe not so much if you're Jordan Spieth. As we've seen, Jordan Spieth tends to spray the ball all over the place because he's kind of in his head. He's probably trying to do a little too much when he's up at the ball. He's probably freaking out a little bit every time he tees off. But, but Dustin's one of those. He's been here a bunch. He's won a bunch. I think he'll be okay, uh, but no, I, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll win this. I mean, we we've already talked before. I think golf is one of those sports where the leaderboard is always the same, five to ten people. This is probably going to be the same case. You'll have a Thomas, or you'll have a Justin, or you'll have a, a Kepka, or you know somebody coming up. If it's someone from behind, it might be someone like. A Woods or a Spieth, uh, maybe Matsuyama finally pulls one out. He's been playing really well lately. Uh, Finau has been phenomenal as of late. But again, those are names that you hear about pretty consistently. I think he'll probably finish in the top thirty, maybe the top fifteen. But not. Nah, I think you know, COVID is enough of a layoff 
can't get out and hit as much as you want to hit in your backyard. You want to hit, I'm sure he has training facilities. It's just, I, I just don't think it's quite the same. He'll probably come in a little rusty. Um, I might even, I mean, it's all I'm, gonna depend. I'm going wrong. I'm going it's wrong. All... After, after seeing that wizardry with that hole in one, my yeah. man's hit across the water, skipped it like a yeah. rock, and then found a way to curve it back to the left. It, nope. I, I've seen enough black magic here. I've watched all eight seasons of Game of Thrones. My money's on that guy. That's, that's who I think is going to win. Yeah, I think tomorrow's going to speak a lot to the quality of play for everybody because if he comes out, it's going to be rainy. It's going to be shitty weather. The greens have starting to harden a little bit because it's so late in the season. Um, uh, comes out, he struggles a little bit. I think he ends up kind of in his own head. Um, uh, he struggles to miss the cut a little bit if he struggles tomorrow, I think. But if he comes out, puts up a decent score, I think, I think, I think he'll end up in the top 15. I don't, I don't think he'll end up, you know, in the, the featured group at the, at the end of Sunday, at least. My pick, though, if I have to pick, uh, I like Rom. I think Rom is probably a pretty safe bet. Um, but I think Finau. I think Finau might come in and and stir things up a little bit. Um, been constantly on the rise. He's done really well. So if I'm putting money down, I'll probably I'll probably go Finau. Oh, all right. Well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, we'll recap on the next episode. All right, let's let's move on to these supercharged, loaded of talent. Got a pitcher that will buzz the tower at 90 miles an hour and then make a little pouty face at you. Let's talk about those Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, look, a lot of people said this year, COVID, 60-game season, there was a pipe dream. We were probably never going to get to postseason baseball. We did get to postseason baseball. There were a couple teams that got you know, bit by the COVID bug pretty hard. But they they managed to find a way to come back. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers went forty seven and thirteen. Like <laughs> they they were never really out of it, I guess you could say. Um, and the only team I think that really gave them trouble in the postseason was the Atlanta Braves, and and that that series went to seven, and then they won the next one pretty handily, as they did with all the earlier series. Um, to that end, I don't know if it deserves an asterisk or not. Obviously, everything that we've had this this year in twenty twenty with COVID-19 and, and rules changes with the expansion of the playoffs. And as Major League Baseball came off of the scandal that was the Astros last year, you wanted a, I don't want to say a safe, but you wanted a, a baseball season that was going to follow the, the regular narrative, okay? Hits, runs, going to propel you to, to go ahead and, and, and pick up the trophy. That, that I think was what MLB hoped for. We all know that the commissioner took a lot of ire from the players on social media about how long they were going to maybe not play for once COVID-19 really started shutting everything down and they had already tried to report for spring training. Uh, we, we've already talked about the fleecing of the minor league. There was just a lot of drama in baseball this year. So when we talked about the teams that possibly could have made it, obviously we love the Red Sox, but that was a pipe dream. The Yankees, the Braves, Slam Diego came out of nowhere. But the Dodgers were always that team that everyone was just like, look, they're going to be there. From, from the beginning of the season, that, that was already penciled in to the World Series final. Why? They're loaded at talent. The Dodgers have won the NL West every single year since 2013. And this year, 
They took a reload. They got Mookie Betts, huge contract. They signed some pitchers, and that really kind of took them over the edge. Now, how are they not going to be the favorite to go into next season? I, I don't really know. I think that what the Dodgers have shown everyone this season is the epitome of the, the slogan, fuck around and find out. If you think you can beat us, cool. Go ahead and give us your best shot. But if you don't come correct, we're sending you packing. And there was only a couple teams this year that really were able to give the Dodgers heartache, and that was San Diego. Outside of that, there was a couple other teams and the Braves, which actually kind of stood up. Like, But they didn't really even see them that much this year because they stayed in the NL to play the majority of their games. So you don't even really know what this team is capable of. But one thing you do know is they can whoop ass in the NL whenever they want. Mm -hmm. And you could even look at some of those losses, which were just by a run or two. Like there were a couple of games, even in the postseason where they got blown out, but whenever their bats needed to come alive and they needed to score runs, they could. I mean, again, Red Sox, why did you not pay Mookie Betts? I don't know, but holy crap, that dude leading off with a hit every single night, just set the pace for the team going forward. And if you're an opposing team and you're an opposing pitcher and you're like, oh, great. I got to throw against Mookie first. Maybe he's going to get on, you know, first or second. Maybe he's going to go over. Maybe he's going to get a run. These are not the things that you want to, as a pitcher, I would assume, start your game off with. You, you like, you, you'd like to kind of have a couple Ks going out there. Maybe give up a couple bases. Maybe a ground, you know, double. You, you want some pop flies in there. But when a guy like Bet steps up to the plate, most pitchers have to go shit. Really. You're like, could, couldn't you wait until I already had two outs? Now I got to try and start the game with you already getting a hit. And then that just sets the tone for the rest of the team. There's not a lot of other teams that do that except for, for example, Slam Diego. So it's going to be interesting to see next year what the Dodgers are capable of. Because think about this. Betts had 16 home runs in 60 games. Now, if we take that, those 60-ish games that he, you know, Maybe he didn't play every single one. You take that out over by what a full projected season at 180 some odd games. So that's three times about three and a half. He would have had 48 to 50 home runs, but let's just say 48 was what he would have actually hit in a total season. Now that's not like Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa seventies, but that's still a fantastic number. And that would have been one off the franchise leader, Sean green, who hit 49 in one season. That kind of production is going to be huge going forward for a team that needs to either get up big early or when it's top of the six and you're down by a few runs, send Mookie. Let's not worry about it. We're still in games every single time. Like it helps that Clayton Kershaw kind of got the monkey off his back that he's not exactly playoff Kershaw anymore that, you know, he, he had a couple speed bumps, but he turned that around obviously in the series. So you just have to wonder, like, you can say that this season might have an asterisk, but I think you could only say it has an asterisk to it if the Dodgers don't get there next year and do the same thing again. I mean, I think they're primed for a repeat. They outspent everyone. <laughs> they, their 26-man payroll uh, going into next season is $175 million. The Yankees, which we thought were buying all their World Series back when they won their stretch because they were outspending everybody, is almost $10 million behind them. So, I mean, you're throwing out big money. 
uh, you're going to have to demand some big returns on that. And in all of sports, championships tend to be the biggest benchmark for success. Now, they got a lot of money tied up in a couple players. They have Clayton Kershaw, they have Mookie Betts, they have Kenley Jansen, who are all on the roster for $20 million or more. Jansen is $20 million. Mookie Betts, uh, his is 22.5, and Clayton Kershaw is 31 million. I mean, those three alone outspend a lot of teams' entire salaries. Like, if you look at any team ranked like 20 and below, they start comparing to what those three guys are making on their own. The Texas, uh, let's see, the Toronto Blue Jays, they're going to spend 74 million next year. Uh, you have the Rangers who are 74 million. The Diamondbacks are 73 million. Kansas City, Oakland, Cleveland. Now, you can't necessarily say that you can't find success because at the bottom of this list, down at 25, is the Tampa Bay Rays who are projected to spend $54 million. So it kind of raises a couple questions. When you look at teams like the Dodgers who are spending all their money on a couple big marquee players and they're hoping a couple guys are going to take some discounts to stay on the team. How long is that going to last before some of those guys say, okay, now I want Mookie Betts money. Now I want Kershaw money. How long is Kershaw going to stick around? Like, how long are some of these guys going to stick around? I mean, Mookie's tied up for the foreseeable future. He's not going anywhere. But generally, when you have teams come in and spend big on a handful of players, the level of success is that high only for like a shortened period of time. Right? The Yankees were one of those teams that were a little bit of an exception because they carried it on for like 10 years and they still to an extent have a little bit of success and they literally buy a lot of high profile talent to bring in. But when you have a team like the Rays who seem to be playing money ball, they spent a hundred million dollars less than you did. It kind of makes you wonder what the front office is going to start doing when they're like, wait a second, what are those guys doing? That's so much different than what we're doing. Uh, their stadiums aren't full. They're still out there winning games. They're competing. They have been competing for a little while. Um, could be a recipe for success. I'd like to see more teams look at that as a reflection to say, hey, look, we can make this work if we fill in the spots with the right people without having to break the bank because then it starts to divvy up the success because like golf, baseball is quickly becoming one of those uh, sports where Come playoff and then World Series time, it's the same handful of teams you hear mixed in there. Got a little interesting this season with a shortened, I mean, we played 100 less games this season, so it wasn't quite the same. Um, but it was a little interesting just to kind of see sort of that shakeup that's there. You had the Diamondbacks who were making a little bit of a run for it. They're relatively low spenders. Uh, and then you had teams like the Red Sox who completely shit the bed and didn't do anything. And there, uh, like six on the list for spending at $138 million uh, going to next year. They obviously have already said they want to clear some cap space. So I think the Dodgers, uh, they've signed enough guys to a long-term deal. I think tomorrow, next next season, they're definitely the favorites going into it. But got to start looking three to four years from now. Are they going to be able to maintain that and continue bringing in that talent? Uh, and what you hope is you don't end up with someone like Betts uh, who's on the team and looks a little bit like Mike Trout, who is a superstar player, doesn't does have a lot of hard, yeah, and has no supporting cast. Yeah, doesn't have a lot of hardware to show for. Uh, or or Bryce Harper, who 
has obviously had a little bit more success than Trout, but has another one of those massive gaudy contracts, but is ultimately, you blew your load on one dude, and when luxury tax and all that stuff starts to factor in, you're going to have to start making some tough decisions a couple of years from now. So I think the Dodgers are primed to win, repeat, and have success in the next two or three years, but I feel like there's going to be a sharp fall off where they either need to start playing money ball and filling in with like position players who are going to play well. That might not be marquee players. Uh, or Mookie's going to end up being one of those guys like uh, a Trout who is just a stat machine, is a phenomenal player, but doesn't have a ton to show. I mean, Mookie at this point has enough to show for it to solidify him as one of the greatest to, to play his position. So. You know, he may not care as much, but I think I think next year the Dodgers are the easy favorite. I think they will go deep, if not win it. Uh, but the year after that, I think and then it starts to become a slightly dicier conversation. Do have Cora coming back for the Red Sox, which, despite how you may feel about that, that's not the conversation for today. Does put them in contention. You had a successful uh, coach side stealing a sign stealing aside your guys still had to go out and execute um and it wasn't nearly the same level of the astros who went out and won a world series with it but uh core didn't get in trouble necessarily for the sign stealing on the red Sox, but it was also his ties to the astros all that sort of stuff so uh if the saxon come out and compete then it becomes a little bit of a different question because you both have them and the yankees that the dodgers would have to go through um potentially go through but for me easy favorite next year dodgers here here's an interesting and i i would say this is probably one of my last thoughts on this in the 2020 postseason uh run they were 13 yep. and 5 okay swept in the wild card and the division series it was in the nlcs that they actually went to game seven and then in the world series they went to six and against yep. a team like you said in the Rays that underspent over a hundred million dollars from from you you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say all right we're really thick in these areas where can we get lean really quickly now the good thing is that this the numbers say they're going to win the nl west next year obviously but yep. if we were to take this this season and we were to elongate it out do we think they could win 100 games i mean i think so yeah. just because of like the fact that they can just generate hits off of off of no no premise whatsoever. But mm -hmm. you have to manage those pitchers for the entirety of that season. And if you just expect that Bellinger, Seager, and Mookie are going to be the, the three that are just always going to be generating hits for you. And, and this, this is another thing, too. I, I'm not really like big into, into the stats because they don't matter. But if you take a look at uh, like baseball reference, for example, everyone's batting average on that team is pretty much around like the, the same. It's, it's good and it's bad, right? Obviously, like you have your your people who are low, like you know, almost like hitting Chris Davis, <laughs> like at at one ninety. But you have a number of people that are hitting anywhere from two seventy to three oh seven. When the majority of your team is in that range, you feel pretty comfortable about what you're able to accomplish, because you know, for the most part, that when you send someone to the plate, that they're going to get you the hits that they need. And that helped you this year. There's no way. There's no way that it didn't, right? If you, like I said earlier, if you're a pitcher and you know the first three guys you got to face are just, they have a percentage of getting on base over half of the time. You're like, all right, what do I do here? Do I do I really just do I even try and throw a changeup? 
knowing that the chances of them crushing it and making me look like an idiot are going to be high? Or do I maybe toss them outside and just see if I can't just stop the bleeding early and just put them on base? And that worked here. It's only 60 games. I mean, managers really had to think about how many games they wanted their starting pitchers to play. Maybe that factored in. We won't know until next year when we really see what this team is capable of. But now that we're talking about stats, like th- this is the crazy thing. When I'm looking at baseball reference, we'll just take a look at <laughs> at, at Mookie's, Mookie's line. I, I don't understand all these things. I, I'm a fan of watching the game, mm-hmm. going to the game, seventh inning stretch, getting some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I ever go back. Psych, COVID, I want to go back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just explain this to me, Tim. How how does this – there is like this whole glossary, and I went and looked, and there's so much math that goes yeah. into all these averages. So there's probably listeners that are big baseball fans, but we know that the, the game has taken an analytic turn, I would say probably within the last 10 years. We know we have yep. juice balls that go X percentage further than, than they used to. Um, people are trying to put foreign substances. Obviously, there's cork bats, all this other stuff. But help me understand, we got batting average. Batting average is what? So the three main statistics that you look at from uh, like a scouting perspective or like a team evaluation are going to be your batting average, uh, your on-base percentage, and your slugging percentage. Uh, What they are uh, is basically the amount of times you get a hit or you make contact with a ball and it's registered as a hit, how many times you end up on base, and then when you do hit the ball, what your level of productivity is when you make contact. So we start at batting average. A lot of people may know this already, but we'll run them through just as a fun little exercise. A batting average is a measurement of how many times you are at the plate, you make contact with the ball, and it's registered as a hit. Doesn't matter whether it's a double, triple, single, home run, it's all the same. So when you see a guy who gets up and he's got a 250 average, uh, that's an average out of 1,000, right? So it's 0. 0.250. Uh, that means he hits the ball a quarter of the time, which means the other times he either hits for an out, strikes out, whatever the case may be, he only gets a hit a quarter of the time. Now, when you start looking at on base percentages, that is a little different. That's actually a measurement that includes any time he ends up on base, whether uh, that's a hit, it's a walk, it's a hit by pitch, any one of those scenarios, it's just how often he ends up on base it's a pretty good measurement between hits how good they are at the plate at watching whether or not the balls that are coming in are pitches and strikes you may have a guy who ends up on base a lot because he walks a lot whose batting average might be a little bit lower because he's not necessarily making contact with the ball all the time but because he crowds the plate he's a small guy uh he's got a really good eye he's not swinging at bad pitches he may have a higher on base percentage more recently, the number everybody looks for is the slugging percentage because that is a direct measurement as to how productive a batter is when he's at the plate. Not all hits are measured the same like they are with a batting average. So you may have someone with like a a 250 batting average, like uh, I think Stanton might be like at a 250, and I think his slugging percentage is closer to 400. The reason for that He's only making contact with the ball a quarter of the time, but when he does make contact with the ball, they're very productive hits. So um, single, obviously, is weighted less than a double. 
triple, or a home run. Uh, so when you start looking at those numbers, someone who has a higher slugging percentage or a, slight, uh, a higher on-base percentage than they do a batting average means one of two things. They're better at watching the ball and choosing when they swing and when they don't. Someone with a, a higher slugging percentage means that they're generally going to be, you know, we're using the term slugging because normally in baseball, a slugger is somebody who can, uh, that's why Louisville Slugger is the name of the, the bat company. Um, but it, it generally the means... the Portland Sea Dogs mascot. Shout that's right, that's right. Uh, it generally means that that player is hitting uh, for more productivity when he is at the plate. He's averaging more doubles. He's averaging more triples. He's averaging uh, more home runs. Basically, any extra base hit that comes up while he's at the plate feeds into the slugging percentage. So if he hits 10 hits and all 10 of those hits are doubles, triples, or home runs, he's going to have a really high slugging percentage. But if he's at bat 20 times, or let's say he's up to bat 100 times and he only hits... 10 of those hits, his second percentage is going to be really high, but his batting average is going to be garbage. It's going to be really, really bad. So um, they can all be a little misleading. You kind of have to take all of them into account when you are looking at them. I tend to look more at batting average and slugging percentage, less about on-base percentage. Yes, it's great to put yourself in position to advance. It gives your team a chance, uh, but you got to look at slugging and you got to look at batting average if you want to get a good picture of how good a batter is at the plate yeah so if we just take a look at Mookie Betts for example I, I gave you the stat earlier 16 home runs in this season okay batting average 292 uh, on base percentage 366 and slugging 562 so if you just take a look at his batting average and his slugging average I mean it's almost double so that would as as now we have the body of work to go along with it I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, those numbers match up. Um, the, the numbers on the average just keep going up and up and up. I mean, when this dude goes up to the plate, he's going to get on base more often than not. Um, so there's a lot of business decisions that are being made about what pitches to throw this guy, knowing, A, he can go yard, and B, all he has to do is just get a couple hits and get the team going. Like That, that was one thing that they said this season that Mookie comes and he sets the tone for us. He gets a couple of hits early, gets the team fired up. I mean, if a baseball team just gets fired up after a couple of hits, get that guy starting every single game. Oh, wait, that's what they did. Um, now, funny little, funny little story real quick, just based off of yeah. that and him getting teams fired up. I actually met Mookie Betts once. I got to go up to Fenway. Um, I had gotten some stuff, you know, through a, a, a colleague of mine. Um, and I thought it was going to be like, Hey, here's your field pass. Go ahead, stand on the field, but kind of stay out of the way a little bit. Uh, and it turned out to be like an experience and it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. I got to go down, I got to stand on the field. Uh, this woman knew everyone who was playing, they were playing, uh, against the Rangers and she was bringing people up to talk to me. So I got to have a long conversation with J.D. Martinez, I got to talk to Mookie Betts, uh, Xander Bogarts. I got to talk to quite a few people, and we actually stood there and we watched the World Cup on the big screen for a little while while we were hanging out. So my, my name is actually signed on the inside of the Green Monster. So Red Sox fan through and through. Ooh. It's in writing. <laughs> it's Ooh, in writing. There. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually in writing. Uh, so if there's you also any... Lived in, you also live in Charleston. 
I did live in Charleston. Uh, yeah. Charlestown, sir. Charleston. Charleston. The town. Charleston is uh, in another state. Um, it's in South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, but I was in but- Charlestown. Um, but yeah, Mookie Betts is actually really quiet and really reserved, dude. It was like borderline to almost awkward. And I originally thought that we had either upset him or that he just wasn't into it. But yeah, I mean, he is, he's there with his people. And he's in with those people, but for the most part, he's really, really quiet and reserved and doesn't put himself out there, which which surprised me a little bit about the move to L.A. because he said, I feel like I belong here. I can be who I want to be. He can be out. And then you hear them say, oh, he's the guy that motivates the team. It's because when, it, when game time comes, he is that motivating guy. He's the guy you want on your bench. I'm sad we, we traded him. That literally hurts me to my soul. But it's, it is interesting to hear him as this guy who is the driving force of the team. And then know personally how quiet and reserved he is. It's a little, it's just a funny little contrast. I just thought of that while you while you said that, but it is funny that he's a staple in the momentum and the energy of that team. I I did say one last thing, but I'm going to leave you with this last thing. Um, <laughs> obviously, we know that this season was shortened, but I, I went and looked at the top five teams' home runs per game. Okay, average. The Dodgers obviously this year 1.9. The Yankees. In second place, 1.66. That's a sizable drop because the second, third, and fourth, and really the fifth, are only surrounded by a tenth of a decimal point, 166 to 156. But if you take a look at last year's uh, numbers in, in 2019, the Dodgers averaged 1.72. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, this will be the last thing I say on that, too. It's tough to compare this season to last season. <laughs> Yeah, Only yeah. because it's it's a shortened season and everyone goes through droughts. Everyone does. So I think you're going to see a lot of those numbers that are inflated this season. But yeah, I mean, they're well, hitting for I power. Mean, Bellinger's there. Mookie's there. They're all putting balls so, in play. So so here, here's something that, that's pretty crazy. So the Braves last year, 1.52. And the Yankees last year, 1.88. So the Braves went up and the Yanks went down. Yeah. Um. So, I, I mean, you know, you the numbers don't really tell the full story yet. You obviously have to see what happens, but all that is to say, look, the Dodgers are a really good team. They were probably like from the beginning of the season, they, they, like we said, they were probably penciled to be one of those teams in the world series. It's going to be very telling before the all-star break next year, what kind of team they are. If they're putting up a similar production, of course, we're all going to go ahead and just maybe pencil them in the first two rounds because we think, yeah, this is more of the same. But it will be interesting, like you say. I mean, they faced a team in the series that underpaid their team by $100 million. At, at some point, the money does not lie, and you do have to worry about which way your team's going to go. Two or three guys getting all the money, and you're paying the luxury tax for them, or you're having a balanced team. So we will see what happens with that. Jim. O'Brien's texting me right now. That's the only reason I keep looking down at my phone. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, it's the release tonight of that like, oh yeah, of that beer. Yeah. Yes. So they're all lit right now. <laughs> you know who we haven't talked about enough about Tim? Who's that? A guy that has a tattoo on his face. A guy mm. that loves pigeons. A guy that um, did one of the best renditions of Phil Collins in the air tonight in the renowned (laughs) movie series, The Hangover. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, that is for anybody who doesn't know, a one Mike Tyson. We've dabbled a little bit into boxing uh, since the start of the show. Holy shit, 30 episodes ago. Uh, but the man is back in the news. He's kind of been on a redemption tour for like the last 10, 15 years. But uh, news broke of him wanting to get back into boxing. Originally, there was conversations about an MMA fight, and then it became an actual boxing match. Exhibition against uh, there's a couple opponents that were thrown around and ultimately ended up landing on Roy Jones Jr. Uh, but it's not exactly what it was originally pitched to be, which is going to end up working around working out for the rest of us. It's a pay per view fight, uh, instead of a full round exhibition, which is what this was supposed to be, it's now a full on. Uh, eight-round fight, and there's some sort of belt that's riding onto it. I mean, Tyson actually came out and was quoted saying, I wanted to fight a four-round exhibition. Next thing I know, I'm fighting Roy Jones Jr. It's eight rounds, and I got three judges, and I got a belt involved. He continued, now you tell me this is an exhibition? You tell me. What the F is going on? I want an exhibition. Now I got a belt involved. Come on, man. But what this did this ultimately ended up sort of sparking his interest in continuing this beyond this exhibition. He already has said he feels better now than when he originally started training. And if anybody saw the viral videos of when he first started throwing punches, the man is an animal. Like, <laughs> the guy is just completely unreal. Uh, he gets up and moves. If you go back and you look at what fighters have said over the last just the 14 fights in his career, including the ones that he lost, most of them said what was scary about Tyson was the amount of power that he had when he came in and he would throw punches. Most guys have power or speed, and he was one of those guys that had both. And you had no idea what was going on after you ate one of those nasty, nasty uppercuts, which most people don't know. Mike Tyson is short. He was a lot shorter than a lot of the guys that he fought. So if you go back and you look at a lot of these fights, one of his big signature punches was this sweeping underhand like uppercut where he would come in close because he could close distance like nobody I've ever seen. He would get in close. He would move around, get in around your pitches. All right, sorry, get in around your punches. And then the moment he saw an opening, he would come with his just devastating uppercut where he would end up having to leap a little bit to try and get up high enough to get to where your chin was so you would see these things come in and he would either end up on his tippy toes or even off the ground for a second and when you have a guy who's as fast and as strong as he is putting his entire weight into a punch that's about to land underneath your jaw it blows my mind well you understand how quickly a lot of those guys went down but it also blows my mind how many of them didn't have like permanent jaw damage, like broken jaws or missing teeth because, man, the way their head snapped back. I mean, he was just devastating all around. But what's become a little bit more interesting, Roy Jones was a little bit quiet leading into this. He's now starting to get the itch as well. His coach, Tommy Kello, he's his current trainer has come out and said that, you know, the former four-division world champion, Roy Jones, believes he's a boxer and is considered a possibility of continuing to fight after this as well. But the caveat is he'll only do it around, uh, 
or with who he and his team deems as legends. His last fight was in 2018, so he's still relatively fresh. I didn't know that until I looked it up. I had no idea he fought two years ago. But again, according to his trainer, the type of guys he would come back to fight or continue fighting are of similar age and status. So it's not necessarily like he wants to come in and fight a Tyson Fury. Or, he would want yeah. to, <laughs> or oh, Triple would, G. Or, oh my God, he would die. Or, yeah, I, yeah, I, when you say Fury, yeah, Fury Wilder. That, that would yeah, they're all, yeah, they're all, these guys are all still heavyweights. So it wouldn't be any of these young guys. Yeah, they're heavyweights. But, they're 55 years old. I would hope you're yeah. a heavyweight at that point. Yeah. Um, but he's already said he would fight Amanda Holyfield. He's now 58. He retired in 2011. Bernard Hopkins was another one how, he threw out. How can you be almost 60 years of age and you're like, yeah, continue to punch me in the head? You yeah. don't have you don't have the youth that used to have, young man. Oh, dude, I I didn't realize this, but uh, Bernard Hopkins, who anybody who played Fight Night when it first came out, first shout out to you guys because that game was amazing. But Bernard Hopkins, he's now fifty five, and he actually just fought in two thousand sixteen. I say just fought because that was only four years ago. He was fighting when he was fifty one years old and was still doing well. But the question is, well, there's there's two questions. Do you really think, one, the old guys still have it, and do we even care to watch the fight anymore? The last time Tyson fought, he finished his career. He was 50-6, and six, but he lost five of the last 12 fights that he had. Two of them in that 12 were also no contest. One after Tyson knocked down uh, Orland Norris after the first round bell. Norris injured his knee, so the fight was called a no contest. The other was against Andrew Galata in which Galata got up off of his stool at the start of the third, and he just began to walk around his corner. He refused to fight. They eventually awarded the fight to Tyson, but it was later found out Galata had a broken bone in his skull, and he was concerned that if he continued to fight, it would push into his brain. He said after the fight that it was Tyson headbutts that had continued to happen, but the refs never called it. But to make matters worse, Tyson tested positive for marijuana after the fight. So the commissioner ended up changing it from a TKO to a no contest. But the point of all this, he didn't exactly finish strong. And he has spent the last 10 to 15 years trying to rebuild his image. And now you see him as this sort of lovable guy, this goofy guy in comedy movies who has played that part really well. He still had little bouts of craziness, but he seems to have kind of gotten himself together He's like a vegan now. He's training hard. He seems to be very clear-minded when he's having these conversations. He still doesn't he's take any... He's on the TB12 sh- method. Yeah. He, he's st- <laughs> Sleeping he's in still- copper pajamas and eating avocado <laughs> ice cream. I'm Dude. getting back in the ring, y'all. Oh, what, get out whatever, here, whatever he's doing, it's working. But uh, he still doesn't take shit from anyone. There's plenty of interviews where... Yeah, of course not. He'll be mid-interview. He'll be Mike mid-interview. Tyson. Yeah, he'll be mid-interview and be like, why would you even ask me that question? You're just, you know, an, one- you're just an asshole. One thing that I really appreciate that he did, he called out this rapper on a podcast um, that he had recently because this rapper had made some homophobic and, and transphobic like comments about yep. um, Dwayne Wade's daughter. Yep. Um, so then he had this guy on his podcast and, the, and he was like, yo, why did you say that? And then the guy was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. He's like, no, don't change your answer because you're talking to me now. Like own it like a man. And, you know, that's that's what you get with a guy yeah. like Tyson. He's always going to be that figure. A lot of it's the bad boy image he had cultivated yep. growing up. And really, I mean, the headbutt thing, the the Holyfield, like, let me, ear let me bite. Pop your, yeah. yeah, your ear bite. <laughs> you know, like, that guy's story is already written. 
him fighting again doesn't yeah. do his career any justice whatsoever. It's not yeah. really worth it. Um, and of course, there's the medical risk. You're almost 60 yep. years of age. Like, you know, if my my dad or my grandfather was like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 12 rounds. I'm like, no, no, you're not. Dude. I'm going to go to the courts and find a way to stop you and call it, <laughs> say you're mentally incapable of doing this. And I'm going to prevent you from doing that because a, I want you to, to be around for your grandkids. And two, mm -hmm. you're 60 years old. Why are you fighting? No, this is a bad idea. Like fighting is a young person's game. And yeah. I worry that with these types of fights, what it does is like the, I mean, celebrity death match was a funny cartoon on MTV back mm -hmm. in the day, but this is what we're getting to now because then you have these celebrity boxing bouts with like YouTube vloggers and rappers and then you, you what you had the tanya harding celebrity boxing match like a few years yeah. back like he, here's what happens you you get that and, and you go one of three ways a celebrity boxing match which only your diehard fans watch and you don't make a ton of money off of or dancing with the stars <laughs> like neither one of those are great yeah. things for you to sort of finish your career out with so i would be want to not do that sort of stuff um Obviously, Tyson is one of the boxers that define the sport. I think yeah. it would be better if he if he found a way to manage a team, sort of like you know Floyd did with the money team, or to be a coach, to be a commentator, yep. um, maybe help like write a book about boxing. It, it'd be, be part of the history. You know what I mean? Like, is, is there a national boxing museum? Shouldn't there be? Shouldn't a sport yeah. that you know has thrived for hundreds of years? based off of the fact that young people who have a lot of rage and angst just need to channel it against a speed yep. bag and another unlucky person in a ring. Shouldn't, shouldn't there be something that you can grow the sport to a bigger, a bigger aim? Yeah. Mentoring for, an Olympic boxer. You know, you know what I mean? There's like, there's so many things. And yet this guy just keeps going back to you. Let me fight. Let me fight. Let me, we get it. We get it. You're a fighter. If I see that dude in a bar and someone wants to take a seat, good luck, dude. You're going to get your ass handed to you. I'm not doing that. I'm buying the dude a drink. But it's just like, yeah, that's it's such a young man's game. You you can't continue to, to to just hope the chips are gonna come up in your favor, especially when the numbers say five out of the last twelve you didn't have it. What makes you yeah. think now because you haven't taken hits for a decade or more that you're gonna get it? I don't know. That's just ugh. yeah. And for, I mean, for me, it's kind of he's sort of fully rebound his image. He's now seen as this like teddy bear. When he came from a guy who used to beat up old ladies and he used to tell fighters, I want to eat your soul. You know, he had that really tough relationship with his wife in which she would out him on stage and he would kind of, you know, you could see that inner turmoil and rage. I don't, what I don't want to see is him get back in the ring and kind of tarnish his legacy, which it kind of, you're putting yourself yeah. in that position when yep. you're out there fighting. And I get it. The people you're fighting are the same age, but you haven't fought in a long time, and some of these guys are coming off like a two-year layoff, which Lomachenko was a year and a half. Look how that fight turned out for him. And he's the best, he's one of the best pound for pound fighters in all of boxing. So a year and a half layoff for a dude in his prime versus like a 15-year layoff against the guy who's had, you know, two years or four years or, you know, whatever. It's it's it runs the risk of a circus event turning into a pretty yeah. sad situation. Mm -hmm. And I think if it was just an exhibition, it was four rounds and it went for a good cause. Okay, sure. But he's no longer treating it. Roy Jones Jr. Isn't treating it like an exhibition. They're both coming out like they're, they're, they're fighters. And dude, I'm 37 years old. I'll be 40 in three years. 
if I bump my head or I stub my shin on something, <laughs> I'm on like bed rest for a week. My wife like is week. taking care of my child. I'm I'm re-upping my will. Like it is it's it's tough out there, right? I wake up with a headache, I'm like, oh my god, my life's over. I get a cold and, and you know, Kyle's making my last right request. So like to be oh, fifty five. I only request two things. A heady topper. <laughs> and a foot rub it's been nice knowing you yeah <laughs> and then uh except yeah man like mike mike tyson would be one of those guys like if something happens and, and he goes to heaven um you know the guy at the pearly gates would like look and go nah you're not supposed to be here um go talk to security security please escort this, this young man out he's not ready yeah. to be here yet send him back to earth that that's what would happen you know what i mean but just because you're you're that guy and you have that ability doesn't mean you need to go yeah. flirting with it I yeah yeah yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I mean, I'm going to tune in because, you know, I'm a glutton for this kind of stuff. But it is it is weird, like you said. It, it's like watching, you know, my dad get out and try and go up against someone. The only difference is there's a picture online. You guys can find it of Tyson holding a magazine where he was on the cover at a younger age. And I got to tell you, the body shape difference is not that different right now. He is legitimately a scary looking man. So my other concern is that he's going to get in and really mess some guys up who thought they were coming in for like a playful little, let's get back in. Cause he didn't turn it off. There's several times you hear his, his training, be like, Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> it's hump day. Back up. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll have to, see. it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I'll tune in. I hope this doesn't become a thing. We have like the retirees coming back to fight. Um, well, it is. It is going to be a thing. They're going to go on the retiree fight circuit, and then we'll talk about it in episode sixty or sixty-one of Assassin Matter because I'll say, "Hey, Tim, I can't record on Monday night because Dance with the Stars and Mike Tyson's on it." And you're going to be like, "Really?" Yeah. I'm like, "Yes, I have to see if he can float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, just the same way." It's yeah, very, I mean, very important. Yeah, I mean the one the one thing I'll leave you guys with is what he did say is he was a little bit more open than. Roy Jones Jr. was where Roy Jones wanted to fight like other legends of boxing in his era. Tyson went all in and went like, wouldn't it be great if I went to country to country and did exhibitions fighting like their best fighters? So like Tyson could literally be all in and beating up guys in foreign countries uh, for a little while, but who knows? Who knows, man? It's a crazy world. That, that sums up 2020 in a nutshell. 60 year old guys getting ready to, to box it out. And they're probably a lot better than some of these 25-year-olds that are going out there. <laughs> True. Maybe maybe this is what boxing needs to kind of reinvigorate itself and bring back viewers. I know it's been on a, on a, on that, a slight that incline. A very, but. That is a very bad idea. With all, all the effort that Top Rank and DAZN are doing, the last thing you need to do is go the other way and just tug on nostalgia strings and just say, let's, yep. let's bring Holyfield in and stuff. Now, I will say, I don't know if this is related or not, I've been seeing too much Roy Jones Jr. He's a he's a rapper. Did you know this? He had a couple. <laughs> no, yes. he did. I, yeah, he I did. no, I know this, and they were all uh, they were all bad, very bad. Uh, listen, I just got to say that um, my Spotify requests. This is the, this this is the machine learning saying, Sam. We think based off of your current rap likes, you would probably really get into Roy Jones Jr. I don't know what that says about my Spotify list that it gives me a guy <laughs> whose albums are from the. You know the the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. Um, so the I way mean, vacation for it, kind of, I suppose. I don't know the, the the way vacation land had to swoop in and save you from yourself when it comes to beers. 
I'm going to oh, have to sweep no, in. It was me. It was me. A, it was me. I'm going to have to sweep in and uh, I'm going to have to sweep in and save you from yourself when it comes to some of these rap suggestions because, man, we're going to have to get some like mob deep in there. We'll have to get some, you know, some old school Biggie, maybe some Bone Thugs and Harmony. We'll mix them up in there. I swear to God, if I hear you listen to anything that was released in like the last five years by anybody who has a tattoo on their face, this podcast is over. It's done. Okay. It's done. Uh, listen, don't you be giving me ultimatums. But speaking of people with they had tattoos in their face, there's an excellent Spotify podcast series about Takashi Six Nine and how he's. Uh, like, no, 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 no. I, I see what you're doing. Don't run for the door. No, just about his <laughs> rise and his fall. It, it's almost like a Rolling Stone article, but it's over like six episodes. It's fantastic. Yeah. It, there's just too much good podcast. Anyways, yeah. last thing here. Did you see that? Was it um, was it Canel that decided he he wanted to drop his contract? I know. I didn't see that. Was it Canel? I mean, I don't know. Oh, Can- oh, oh uh, Alvarez. Alvarez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he bailed on that and is already negotiating his next fight. So, I, I mean, I don't know, can, man. There's, I who, think, who, top who rank. Who does that? Who who decides to say, "Hey, thank you for that three hundred twenty-six million dollar contract," but nah, I'm good. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot that's gonna have to be sort of shaken out when it comes to that conversation for multiple reasons obviously he tested positive for steroids or hgh or well the i think it was the the estrogen stack to offset the testosterone i don't remember exactly what it was but uh essentially he's already popped positive for performance enhancing drugs um they chalked it up to the beef he was eating in his home country because they put i don't know there was there's a lot of excuses yeah right, yeah, right. Uh, I think oh, yeah, a lot of those... Oh, it's the cows. Like, okay. Yeah, I think... <laughs> out of here with that. Boxing's kind of in a weird place. I think top rank really holds the top spot in uh, in the way promoting and all of that kind of works itself out. And I think you're starting to see a lot of these guys kind of get over it like was it the dazn network uh that's who he that's who he ultimately bailed on his contract from i think that's one of those that started out as a great idea but when you have free fights that you don't have to subscribe to see someone like lomachenko or terrence crawford or a lot of those guys some of them are going back towards uh pay-per-view but he already worked out another fight with uh callum smith in December, so it's not like he's not ready to fight. He just didn't want to fight for DAZN anymore. The uh, zone, I think, is what it what what it meant. But uh, I think it just starts to spell the end of the potential demise uh, for that company. We start losing big names. You hope it's going to do well. I'm a big boxing fan. I appreciate what they're trying to do, but top rank partnering with uh, ESPN is just a juggernaut now and the fact that they have on their roster some of the best fighters in those respective divisions there's I, I i don't think you need to tie yourself into one organization like that when you get more exposure i don't subscribe to the zone or dazn i don't know anybody else who does personally i know a million people that subscribe to espn plus i know a million people who watch the top rank fights when they're broadcasted 
So I think the writing's just kind of there on the wall. I think he may have realized it, whether there was a difference in money or representation. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You still have Golden Boy out there. Who knows? Who knows? And I know... I don't know if he's signed to Golden Boy or not, but it's, I think we're just due for a little bit of a shakeup. Top Rank is really making a lot of the waves that are out there. Obviously, you can't have just Top Rank because then that, you know, wouldn't make much sense. You'd have a little bit of a, a monopoly there. Um, but I think I think this means more for the zone and, and their shortcomings than it does for anything else. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. He's fighting in December. I'll watch the Steroid Junkie. Uh, just because he is fun to watch, he likes getting his, he likes standing in there and exchanging punches, which a lot of fighters don't do now. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. They're also look, last little tidbit here. Uh, why Deontay Wilder's team is upset that Tyson Fury's like rematch that was they were contractually obligated to do it was supposed to occur in October. It didn't obviously because of COVID. So uh, they're trying to get a stay of execution and they want to go through mediation, which is actually going to happen next week to see if they can't get that rematch in December. Here's the thing. Tyson Fury doesn't want to do it. I mean, he's one one against the guy. Like, I can't blame him. But if you if you want to see a little bit about that guy, he did a, a TV spot with uh, Rich Eisen on the Rich yeah. Eisen show, and he talked about his own mental health and, like, being suicidal, which is, like, huge. Huge yeah. that, that he that he that a guy like that came out there and talked about it, how good it is. So yeah. for a guy to say, like, look, I'm trying to fight, but I don't want to wait forever on a fight. Like, I, I gotta keep this going because I know my days are numbered and I want to make the best of it. You, you gotta hand it to a guy like that. Um I, I get the feeling that neither of those guys are gonna be 60 trying to do celebrity boxing matches, but no, we, no. we can and, put uh, a cap on this one. Quick, quick correction. I said I thought it was being released from the zone. He was actually released, or he agreed to be released or to get out of his contract with Golden Boy, who's Oscar De La Hoya's little baby project. Oscar De La Hoya is trying to get back in the ring, which is a whole other conversation no, for another no. day. When you're the CEO, you don't look at the talent and go, there's nobody good in this team. I guess I'll have to step in the ring, boys. Like, no, yeah. put your cape on in the corner. Wear it once a year on Halloween. Yeah. Don't, don't they're, come they're... out with trying to like say, oh, someone's going to do a good job around here, so I guess I'll do it myself. Run the damn company. Yeah, DAZN is just a broadcasting company. I, I totally mixed that up. Uh, they couldn't agree to who his opponent was going to be, so then he decided uh, they mutually parted ways. I have mixed emotions about or mixed mixed feelings about uh, Golden Boy. Anyway, I, I you know I appreciate them trying to make their attempt, but uh, not a huge fan. I think it's poorly run. There's been lots of speculation and conversation about De La Hoya and some of his business dealings that have gone on on that side of things. So I guess it's not really a surprise. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he remains a free agent or if he maybe gets picked up by some of these other teams. That little, you know, dicey past is going to raise some questions and who's going to want to associate with someone who's tested positive before. But Great news, though. He's going to serve as his ban or his suspension. And 2021 is right around the corner. And 2021 can't possibly well, he, be any worse than 2020. Well, he already served the suspension for it. Like, he was already out for a while. So this is this is his, like, the aftermath of that. So he he was already out. Um, it's just what happens going forward. So interesting, we'll interesting. We'll All right. But, well, Tim, that does it for episode thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Thirty episodes, man. We're killing it. 
Uh, and hey, before forward. before we go, we said a little bit on the podcast you probably listened to uh, on Wednesday for our recap. But, uh, you know, I want to wish Veterans Day, happy Veterans Day to everybody out there. Hopefully, you know, people show their respects. You got a little love, but a bigger shout out. No offense to the rest of you guys. To my co-host and my colleague, Emil Smith. Thank you for your mm. service, sir. We mm. appreciate you. Everything you did, I know you had the day off. I hope you uh, found ways to relax, you know, reflect on all you've done for us. Yeah, so. yeah it was it was pretty nice. Watched the wreath laying in Arlington this morning. Not in person. I just watched it, you know, on the on the World Wide Web's. Um, obviously, living in the Virginia area and driving by that place, it always kind of it really is hallowed ground. And seeing the change in the guard a couple times and getting to see underneath the tomb. Um, there just a little bit. It, it's definitely a, a really humbling experience, and I I would wish anyone a chance if they come to this area to go and check it out. But just of course remember that it's not like we all decided to sign up and serve our country so we could have a day off in November. Yep. Uh, it, it was it was more about hey I, I guess this is a day we'll we'll go ahead and accept the things that we've done and the great things that that we've done and, and say sure yep. yeah I, I guess I. Today I can take a discount. There, there was a hilarious meme. You, you might have seen it. It's like a war zone drop of everyone getting ready yeah. to jump out of the uh, out of the plane. Yeah. It did. It's seeing me and my vet boys, you know, going to get our free meals, and all the drop sites where all the cash was was like Applebee's, and, yep. <laughs> you know, firehouse subs. All yeah, these yeah, things. Yeah. I don't, I don't do that. Um, it's not necessarily my thing. Obviously, they get a lot of you know traffic on those days, anyways. Let people who who want to go use it go use it. That that's fine. I don't necessarily want to be around a ton of people on Veterans Day, anyways. But uh, appreciate the shout out, man. It's uh, yeah, man. It, it was great. Yeah, I've been out of the military now almost a, a whole year. It'll be a whole year in January. So thirteen years of my life wouldn't change it. Obviously, it brought me all across the United States and set in in uh, in motion a series of fortunate events that uh, led ultimately to this right here. So here we go. I'll shout out to all of our FICAP brothers, our Sigma Nu brothers, our friends, our family. We know there's too many of you to name, uh, but we thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. Also, quick shout out uh, to one of our fastest growing user bases, India. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah. Feel free to reach out to us on social media. Let us know the type of content you're listening. Obviously, you know we, we see who's listening from where. Uh, you are a growing user base, so hey, hit us up. Let us know what you like. If you want to put us in contact with somebody who could teach us a little bit about cricket, find us at uh, Instagram at, at stats don't matter, uh, or my personal Instagram account at uh, Timmy underscore Cronin. Sam, your Instagram account at Smiffer five eleven. Yeah, let us know. Yep. But cheers, everybody. Here's cheers. episode thirty, and we will see you next week for dirty one episode dirty one Beep.